This is Cambridge Judge Business School's online knowledge centre with expert commentary, analysis and insights into the issues of the day. A new world order will result from the current economic and financial crisis, according to Philip Coggan of The Economist. He says that over history, there have been various international monetary systems, the gold standard, Bretton Woods, and post-Bretton Woods, which is currently in chaos. The terms of these systems are set by the credit to nations. Britain introduced the gold standard, other countries followed. Then America set the terms of the Bretton Woods system, which emerged later. Mr. Coggan, Buttonwood columnist and Capital Markets editor, predicts in his book Paper Promises, Money, Debt and the New World Order that a fresh system will emerge from the present crisis. The fact that debtors can't repay their debts in real money, the same money that creditors lent to them, will be governed by the creditor nation of the future, China, a country that has different priorities to the pioneers of the last two systems, Britain and America. With that in mind, and the fact that China owns most of America's debt, I wondered what might happen if America chose to delay or default on its repayments. Well, I think there'd be enormous financial chaos if America ever did default technically or fully on its debt. And it's not very likely. It doesn't really need to do so at the moment because it can borrow money very cheaply. But I suspect... Uh, That's how the new world order will come about. Some crisis in future will emerge either because the Americans inflict a wound on themselves. Perhaps some future Congress decides not to raise the debt ceiling, as they debated in August 2011, and so then do get into a technical default. Or because the markets look at America's long-term fiscal position, which is... um, particularly vulnerable to the fact that entitlement programs like Social Security and Medicare are rising in cost and continuing to do so, and decide that America will never get its act in order, in which case bond yields would rise very sharply. At that moment, you might have a crisis where China would decide that financing the American deficit was throwing good money after bad, and so America and China would need to come to a deal. I think the most likely outcome of such a deal would be that China would agree to let its currency rise by a certain amount, and America would agree to limit its deficit. And this deal would look a bit like Bretton Woods with more managed exchange rates and quite possibly capital controls as well. Going back to paper promises, you know, it's, it's, it's an economic history and a battle between creditors and debtors with the nature of money as the battleground. I'm quoting from this. The, the thing is, uh, how do you see it going? Because we've been in, we've been in trouble now since 2008. So what, what's your prediction for the next five, ten years? The n- nature of these crises is they take a long time to sort out. So if you go back to the demise of the gold standard, Britain went off the gold standard in 1931. France was about the last nation to go out of the gold standard in 1936. And the new system, Bretton Woods, didn't emerge until 1944. Again, if you go back to the collapse of Bretton Woods, uh, it first collapsed in 1971. uh, And then we had a long period of chaos with inflation, stagflation indeed. And we really didn't move to a period of stability until the 1980s, when Paul Volcker showed that independent central banks could crack inflation. So similarly, it's going to take five or ten years to sort out this mess. And in that period... Uh, different countries will follow different routes to get rid of their debt. So you have three real options, inflate, stagnate, and default. So if we take them in reverse order, Greece is defaulting on its debts to its private sector creditors and will no doubt default on its debts to its official creditors later on. And other European nations which can't inflate their way out of their debts will do the same. In countries like Britain and America, we have scope because we can issue debt in our own currencies and we have 
central banks that can print money, we have the scope to inflate our way out of our debts if the markets let us. And of course, Japan is an example of what happens if with the stagnation option, you can be stuck in this debt trap for years and years and years. But Japan has the key advantage that it owes the money to its own citizens. Britain and America owe the money to foreigners, which is why it's unlikely Britain and America can get away with the kind of 20 year period of stagnation that Japan's done. Where in this new world order that you, you suggest is, is the Eurozone going to sit? Or is the Eurozone going to survive? The future of the Eurozone is very difficult to call um, because it is a similar thing to the gold standard. It's a fixed exchange rate regime. And the problem has been that uh, the countries have fixed their exchange rates to Germany. And as in the 1930s, to maintain that regime, they have to impose all kinds of austerity, which in a democratic country are very difficult to get past the voters. And just as in the 1930s, eventually the strain of keeping up with that standard caused countries to leave. Now, they could leave the euro, but that doesn't really solve the problem because their debts would still be in euros and their revenues would be in drachmas, escudos or whatever. So they would face not only a problem of writing off their sovereign debt, but a problem that their banks and their corporate sectors have borrowed in euros and their revenues will be in the new currencies. So they would go bust as well, in which case they would need foreign aid from the rest of Europe. So you can't have suddenly disown uh, the euro, as some countries might be tempted to do, uh, if in case it offends your uh, fellow countries. So I suspect uh, the answer will be that the euro will survive, but only because Germany and the other richer countries are permanently subsidising Greece, Portugal and the rest, just as, of course, in the US, the richer states subsidise the likes of Mississippi and Arkansas. If the Eurozone countries can demonstrate fairly rapidly that they have got some firm growth plans, is it possible that China will come back in and say, ah, yes, we recognise that you've got economic growth planned and you are moving in the right direction, we will support you, we'll put some money into your systems? Relying on China to bail out the Eurozone is not a realistic option. They will put some money in to the Eurozone, certainly, but not enough to make the kind of distant difference that the Europeans need. But they want something back, don't they? They don't, oh, they don't, they don't yes. believe in just spending or lending money for the sake of it. No. Uh, the Chinese will insist on some political conditions and also uh, in terms of the international institutions like the IMF and the World Bank, they'll insist on reforms there to sweep away the old system, really, which... Uh, enshrined the political order after the Second World War, which put America and Europe on top. So that's going to all have to change. But, but still, the fundamental problem of Europe is the low growth outlook. You can improve things in some countries by measures such as deregulation or improving the labour market. But the underlying problem is that uh, demographics mean that the workforces will be static or falling. Now, even with a bit of productivity, you can't grow an economy very quickly if the workforce is static or falling. And it, in those circumstances of low growth, it's almost impossible to get out of a debt trap the conventional way. So then you go back again to defaulting or inflating the debt away. There's a few moves from the European Central Bank, obviously, to lend all this money to banks, which have made it a bit more like the Fed and the Bank of England. But still, you think that default is more likely than inflation in the, in the European market. One economist has said recently that China is surging ahead. China is going to be at the top of the pile in the next 10 to 20 years in, t in terms of world economies. But for the next 10 years, it is going to look internally, more internally, to, to get itself right before it does anything else. Would you go along with that? China is trying to make this steady adjustment, which will move from an export-led model to a consumption-led model. 
uh, and sort of please its m- middle classes who might become politically restive. Uh, you can buy people off with you know, cars and electronic gadgets. It's also trying to adjust to change its financial system so that the banks are stronger and are not so independent on government support and to slightly open up its capital account so that people can invest money overseas and overseas people can invest in China. But these are very slow processes, which will mean that China will not become the reserve currency in the way that the dollar has been so far. And China has a long-term problem, which is that its demographics are set to deteriorate quite sharply after about 2020 because of the one-child policy. So in the China, the old saying is, will they get rich before they get old? And China will have enough to do. But still, the big question is this imbalance between China and America. Will China keep on piling up foreign exchange reserves denominated in dollars? It's at 3.2 trillion at the moment. Can we see it going to 6 trillion, 10 trillion? There's got to be a point at which they feel this is um, not, not worth it anymore. And will America have reformed itself so it doesn't need to borrow all this money uh, by that stage? And that, that's where I think it, the whole thing falls through and we'll likely have a crisis at some point in the next five or 10 years. One final point, and you've, you've touched on it in a way, and that is you, you talk about the, the political changes that are going to come along in China, and they will be driven by the fact that there is a huge gap between the, the, the haves and the have-nots in China. It's a massive gap. But more of the have-nots are going to get some more. They're going, they're going to create, they're going to get their own economies working and all the rest of it in the different districts and the different regions. The problem will come for them, I imagine, is that when you, you create a new middle class, and that middle class will want democracy, can they handle it? The problem of uh, China is an enormous one. And if you look back over the history of emerging markets, you'll see that many of them were uh, riven by crisis during their growth period. America, after all, had a civil war in the middle of the 19th century, which saw its fantastic rise to prominence. So these are huge challenges, um, and it will make the Chinese extremely sensitive. But, of course, this is true of quite a bit of Asia as well. India faces many chi- uh, challenges. Uh, it has similar gaps between rich and poor. It has parts of the country which are, uh, have very poor infrastructure as well. Um, so it's, it's going to be an extraordinary period. But the key thing is that developed, developing Asia is going from about uh, 7% of GDP, world GDP, in 1970 to about 28% now and possibly as much as 50% by 2050. This is the, the huge shift. And this is what uh, economics is going to be about for the next 30 or 40 years, these shifts. And also this battle, which is the subject of my book, between creditors and debtors. We have made so many promises, both to creditors and to citizens in the form of future benefits. Not all these promises can be kept. And the battle in politics in the developing world will be about who loses out. Rich or poor, old or young, public sector workers or taxpayers, whether we default to foreign creditors or to domestic creditors. This is the stuff not just of economics but of politics for the next 20 years. Philip Coggan, thank you very much. Thank you. This programme was produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School as part of its online broadcast series. Thank you.